Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Appreciate you all joining me so much. Today, the topic of what we're going to talk about is how low can you go? The story I'm going to give you all today is a story that you all know, but you probably don't know it at all. I didn't until this week. I thought I knew, but I didn't. I was taught as a kid that this was a cute little story. Uh, Well, not so much. Now, I want to give full credit. The inspiration that I got from this message came from my friend Malcolm Smith on a recent teaching that he did, and a lot of it is from him. So I I want to make sure that, uh, that you know that up front. I love Malcolm and his teaching, and as I do a lot of other folks too, but he inspired, gave me some great information on this. The moral of the story that I was taught has absolutely nothing to do with the point that the truth of the story is about. So, spoiler alert, it does have a wonderful ending for you and for me. But to even come close to grasp the truth of the meaning, you got to know the back story. All right. The story is about the lowest of the low in religion's eyes. And by extension, or so religion thought, the absolute lowest in God's eyes. Many times, if not most of the time, organized religion thinks that God sees something much differently than I think God does see things. (laughs) So, all right. Let me tell you about Mr. Lowe, not the guy that started the Lowe's uh, Home Improvement Store, Mr. Lowe, L-O-W. Can you imagine going to church one Sunday, and during the announcement time, the pastor said, okay, I want to tell you all about so-and-so, and and he gives the name of the worst sinner in town. Nobody else comes close. And he says, this person is the worst sinner in town. God hates them, and he's going to burn them in hell for their many sins. They are the picture of sin and corruption. Avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. Keep the women and the little children away from them. Don't even try to get them saved because they're not worth it. God hates them. They are despicable in God's sight without any hope of any redemption or restoration ever. Well, that's actually what the rabbi said in the home synagogue of Mr. Lowe and said it every Sabbath. We know that from history. This story is set in Jericho. It's actually the lowest continually inhabited city in the world, 850 feet below sea level. It was founded, according to documents that uh, people have discovered now, in 9,600 before Christ, almost 12,000 years ago. 
Then it was a flourishing city, Jericho was, then being 2,000 years ago when this story happened. There was a lot of business, a lot of trade there. There were things that were produced there like balsam wood that was uh, very valuable. And so there was a lot of commerce and industry there. Again, 850 feet below sea level, it's really, really low. And there was a road going up from it. It was just a path then, the road now, going almost straight up to Jerusalem. It's about 17 miles. It would be like somewhere in, in the United States on the plains, and then you get into the foothills, and then you go up like to Pikes Peak or something like that. All right, Mr. Lowe's actual name was Zacchaeus. You can't go any lower than Zacchaeus. He was the lowest in his family and in the whole territory from Jordan to Jerusalem. He was the lowest both in stature, he was really short, and in reputation. He wasn't a cute little guy like we were taught in Sunday school. He was ugly in every way to most people. He was the chief tax collector. That means he worked his way up. And at this point in time, when the story happened, he was getting a cut from all the rest of the tax collectors in the region. And they were all extorting money from their own countrymen, from Jewish people, for the occupying Roman government. They were support. That's how the Roman government was supported. They didn't tax their own citizens. They taxed all of these other countries that they had invaded. So this guy was a traitor to his own people. And he was a thief and extortionist. He actually caused people's, as a result of him taking so much money, people's businesses would fail. They would lose their property, not be able to provide well for their family, stuff like that. The original text indicates that he had a collection of thugs mafia shakedown goons who would threaten people if they didn't pay how much they told them they owed in taxes, threatened to break their arm or worse, and would do it unless they got paid. And his goons also protected him from religious zealots, suicide knifers. These people, they all wore long robes in those days. And you may be familiar with the story with Caesar and uh, Brutus who killed him. He, well, He had a knife hidden up his sleeve. And that's what these religious zealots did. They hid knives up their sleeves. They would get close to you, somebody like him who was hated, and they'd kill him. Of course, they would get killed by the Romans then, but they'd die as a martyred hero in everybody's eyes. So Zacchaeus, although he was very rich, had no joy. He had no peace. He had no love in his life. He had no friends. The only people who acted like his friends were scared to death of him. They were fearful for lots of different reasons and good reasons. Zach was the lowest in religion's eyes. He was unclean. He was a traitor. He was a thief. He was yoked to unclean enemies, occupying Romans. He was a sinner of the worst degree. And that's why they would talk about him that way in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was the lowest in his ethnicity. He betrayed his people. He had the lowest occupation, all of these low things. He was despised. He knew the look of people looking down their noses at him, and so did his wife and kids. All right, here's the text for this story. It's from Luke chapter 19, and it starts out by saying, Jesus entered the city of Jericho. Jesus and the original Grace Restoration team, his disciples and other people who were followers with him, they were on a mission. They went to 
this town of Jericho for a reason. Now, they were passing through there on their way to Jerusalem, but they could have gone through different cities. They went there for a specific reason. And here it is in verse 2 of Luke chapter 19. There, Jesus saw a man who was known as Zacchaeus. He was the commissioner of taxes and very wealthy. The man was known to the public as the lowest of the low, and he was about to meet the highest of the high. Now, Jesus actually, although he had never met him, we think, because according to the story, Jesus knew him because I believe that before he went there, as Jesus does every day, he asked Papa, he asked his father, where do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? And Papa said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. When you get there, there's going to be a big throng of people looking to see you because you do miracles and you heal people and give them free food and wine and stuff like that. Your reputation is strong. There, you know, People are going to be looking for you. And there's going to be this guy named Zacchaeus who, when you get to a certain spot, listen to me, Papa said to Jesus, I'll tell you to look up and you'll see this little guy in the tree. Now, Jesus may have heard about him because his reputation was known, but we don't believe that he ever had met him. Zacchaeus's real name meant innocent and pure. So anytime somebody would say that name, it was had to be with great disdain, like he's anything but innocent and pure. Jesus' name, of course, means salvation. But we don't really know. We haven't really been taught in religion what salvation means either. So verse three, Zacchaeus was very keen to see for himself who Jesus was. I believe the reason the father told Jesus to go there and look for him was because he knew Zacchaeus's heart. He knew Zacchaeus was ready, just like he knows with us when we're ready. Most of us have a time here on earth when we are finally ready to hear the good news about who God really is. Sometimes that doesn't happen in this life, but it will in the next life. Now, he wanted to see Jesus. The text said it was almost impossible since he was so short in stature and Jesus was swamped with people. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. It was actually a sycamore fig tree. The sycamore fig trees had figs on them. They grew to about 60 feet tall. The branches were very gnarly. They were all kind of tangled together. There were a lot of leaves. So it was pretty easy to climb. You could get up in there and you could, you could virtually be invisible in there because of all the branches and the leaves and stuff and people below you couldn't see you. But Jesus knew he was going to be there. So he's up in that tree. Verse five, as soon as Jesus was under the tree, he looked up. I believe he looked up because God, the father, the Holy Spirit said, okay, here it is. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly and take me to your house. Come down in a hurry. He said, I must spend time with you. I must abide with you. Most of us have grown up listening to religious leaders saying, you must do this. You must do that. Jesus, God himself, said, I must come and hang out with you. That's a little different take, isn't it? And reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8. It says, the spirit gives to one person the gift of the word of wisdom. To another person, the same spirit gives the gift of the word of revelation knowledge. And that's what was happening here. Reminds me also of what John recorded in John 5, 19 and 20, where Jesus said, 
I speak to you eternal truth. He said, I'm unable to do anything by myself or by my own initiative. I only do the works that I see the Father doing, for the Son does the same works as his Father. Because the Father loves so much, he always reveals to him everything that he's about to do. He says, I only say and do what the Father tells me to say and do. All right, back to Zacchaeus, verse 6. He was down in a flash and welcomed Jesus into his home with great joy. Other translations say Jesus received and welcomed him joyfully. You could translate it either way, but certainly they both had great joy. Something that may have been a first for Zacchaeus. In the Aramaic translation, which is what Jesus spoke, said that Jesus spent the night in Zacchaeus' home. And the Greek word actually that we translate stay with actually means loosen up, to relax, no pressure to perform, just hang out and have a good time. Now, that was taboo in that culture for a Jew, especially a Jewish rabbi, to even talk to a despicable sinner like this, let alone hang out with them, let alone eat a meal with them, let alone stay the night with them. I mean, Jesus just like went out of his way to pick the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst to welcome and embrace. And we see this in verse seven, the crowds were rumbling with disgust like a disturbed hornet's nest saying, how dare he lodge with such a notorious sinner? Well, Zacchaeus got up and said, look, Lord, half of my massive wealth I now give by way of restoration to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I now restore to them four times as much as I cheated him from. Jesus responded, today salvation has come to your home. You get that? Today, Jesus said, salvation has come to your home. In the Aramaic, he said his name, Zacchaeus, which meant in their language, Mr. Innocent. He said, Mr. Innocent, salvation has come to you in your home. You are a son of Abraham. Oh, man. Now, this is so important that we know what salvation means. He said, Jesus said, today salvation has come to your home. When Jesus says salvation, it's the Greek word sozo, and it means having abundant life right now, in the moment, every moment. It means a lot more than that. I'm going to tell you in a minute. Unfortunately, when religion says salvation, it means to them getting saved so that in the sweet by and by, after you die, you're going to escape eternal conscious torment and get a free ticket to heaven. That's not what the word meant at all. The word that Jesus spoke, today salvation has come to your house, sozo, S-O-Z-O, means whole in every way. Whole spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and physically. Right now, in this very moment, Jesus said salvation has come to you and your whole family right now. God is the God of now. Now, of course, when we do pass over to the continuation of life in the unseen realm, after we take our last physical breath here on earth, we do become completely awake and aware of our salvation, our wholeness. 
a place where there's no pain, no sickness, no sin, no worry, no fear, no depression, where everything has been made right for all people. That, that's what the Bible word justice means, everything made right for all people. That's when we know we're completely aware that we're in the midst of pure light with no darkness, pure unconditional love and grace and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness. But it's never for just in the sweet by and by in the next life. In Jesus' economy, Jesus whose name meant salvation, Jesus says, it's now, it's today. And again, he went out of his way greatly to find the lowest scumbag center of the town to bring salvation to without the guy asking for it or praying to receive it or begging or repenting or anything like that. <laughs> right now, right now in our life, it can seem like darkness. I mean, it, it certainly did to Zacchaeus because he was, he was hated by everybody with no friends and had to worry about somebody stabbing him to death. Our lives can, for whatever reason, can seem like darkness. But in reality, our lives are in the unseen realm where the real us is, pure light with no darkness. Grace, the spirit of Christ in us, is all about continually revealing this salvation, this wholeness to us right now, today, so we can experience it right now. And as we experience it, then we just radiate it and reveal it to other people. In the translation of this, in the mirror translation, Francois de Toit says, grace rather than law is our true lineage. He said, religion represents the clumsy effort of the flesh to compete with faith, the preaching of a mixed message of law and grace. But Jesus said, no mixed message. You don't have to do anything. There's no laws to keep. And that was in the day when they were all still under the law. Jesus said, nope, salvation, wholeness has come to this man and his two entire household. All right, verse nine, Jesus said to him, today, salvation comes to you and all the members of your household. And then he says, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Not those who were lost, but that, the mindset of who he really was. This is the mirror translation. He says, this is my mission as the son of man to search out those who are at their wits end and in their futile efforts to justify themselves, trying to desperately clear their own name, I have come to their rescue and will help them rediscover their authentic identity, redeemed, restored, restored innocence, Zoe life right now. So here's the real moral of this story. Today, salvation has come to your home. Much different than what religion tells us about you have to get saved for some future time after you die to avoid eternal conscious torment. No, today salvation has come to your home. In this teaching, my friend Malcolm Smith gets more agitated than I've ever seen him when he talks about this. He says that he's grieved because of what he calls religious obscene perversion of the word salvation. And he says, look, go to any Bible dictionary, any concordance, and you can see today it's not what religion says it is. 
He's both a Greek and a Hebrew scholar. He has the entire New Testament memorized. He's been the patriarch of the 20th and 21st century grace teachers since the 1950s. And he really knows. And he says, just Google any search, Greek, Aramaic, any Bible concordance regarding the meaning of the word salvation. And I've done that. And the word sozo, the verb, the noun soteria, means restoration to wholeness, a place of safety, keeping one safe, a benefiting presence, soundness, health, well-being, protecting from illness, preservation from destruction. It primarily has to do with health, both physical and mental and relational and spiritual health. It was common in those days when people wrote personal letters in Greek to say, tell me about your soteria. Tell me about your health. Well, what it actually means is saving us from the ill health results of believing in an angry God and eternal conscious torment. That's what it means, not at all what religion tells us. And Malcolm gets really intense when he says it has absolutely no relationship, no history, no biblical reference at all to anything about, quote, hell, unquote, or saving somebody from eternal conscious torment from an angry, vindictive, punitive God. He really lays it on in teaching that religion has deceived, duped, and conned, those are his words, us into fear thinking that that's what's saved is, sending us from an angry God that's going to punish us if we don't get things exactly right and say the magic prayer and all of that kind of stuff. He teaches, and I agree, that today's religion's false understanding of salvation is all built on the lie of separation, when there has never been any separation. Anytime, virtually anytime you see the word saved or salvation in Scripture, it means healing or health. One of the examples he gives, I'm not going to read you the text in the interest of time, but it's from Luke chapter 8. It's the woman with the issue of blood who came to Jesus, touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus said to her, woman, your faith has healed you from this sickness. Well, the word Jesus says is sozo, the word that we translate salvation. <laughs> All right. We have been saved by the grace, as Zacchaeus was, Mr. Innocent. Jesus restored him to his original identity. And here's what the result was. Zacchaeus said, wow. And Jesus didn't say, you have to do this. He didn't even say anything about it. Zacchaeus said, wow, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give away half of all my wealth. And he was the wealthiest guy in the region. I'm going to give away half of all my wealth. And in addition to that, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to repay him four times over for what I've cheated him. Those of you in the United States know that many of us got stimulus checks because of the COVID virus. And uh, we have we have one family we know of that got over $7,000 in stimulus checks. They had you know several kids and that kind of stuff. Well, that was money that they got, that we in the States got from an unlikely source, the Internal Revenue Service, the tax department. And it was the biggest single influx of funds nationwide that you know, help restore the local economy. Well, that's what happened there in Jerusalem with Zacchaeus. Many people were really hurting because they'd been paying these high taxes. They were hoping to get financial help somehow. And as Grace is teaching us now, God will bring that many times in ways that we can't even imagine or figure out where it's going to come from. 
And that's what happened to them. All of a sudden, here comes Zacchaeus, the man they'd hated before he was stealing from him. And he comes with sacks of money going from house to house, you know, <laughs> repaying people what he had cheated them out of. And that's what we can do today. That's what we do today as modern representatives of the Grace Restoration Team. We take what God has given us and we just bless other people in ways that they never saw coming from resources, from places that they never even thought about. And we get the joy of doing that, just like Jesus did, just like Zacchaeus did. Hey, I hope that's been encouraging to you guys today. Uh, It certainly has been to me. And again, I want to thank my friend Malcolm Smith for teaching that and, and showing me some new things that I didn't know before. So thanks again, everybody, for being with us on Grace to All with Paul Gray. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.